We are in the middle of a teaching series called The New Normal, uh, and we're doing this for a number of weeks. I don't know if you can hear the tinny sound there, Charles. I'm sure you can, but if you could clean that up while I'm talking, that would be amazing. Thank you, Charles, for being an awesome sound guy. Um, but uh, the series, The New Normal, the kind of big idea is this, that obviously we've all been through a lot over the last couple weeks, or a couple years rather, and, and the, the, the a lot has manifested itself in kind of a new world that we're living in. Like there's this new reality. I'm sure you feel it just on like a personal, social, cultural level. Uh, but for us, like we're saying like this is actually like made some pretty seismic shifts uh, for what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian in the current world that we live in, uh, and that we, we the, the reality that we're facing requires a new kind of Christian and a new kind of church. Now, what that doesn't mean for us in this series is that we're laying out all the ways that we're going to change. Uh, but what it does mean is that many of the things we've been preaching and teaching for the last, you know, 11 and a half years or whatever that we've been at church about being missionaries to the city and it's not about Sunday and all that. We've said that, but it didn't really like deeply impact us in, in significant ways because we still had this, there was like this residue in our culture where people would like show up and this place used to be like packed, 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 packed out. But something has shifted in the last couple of years. Something has shifted, and, and it's like it's shifted like many people over the, as a result of the last couple of years have like fallen away from Jesus. Uh, many people have just gotten out of the habit of meeting together. There's something in the book of Hebrews about that. Um, but also, like, culture has shifted. Culture has shifted in such a way that, like, it's not as uh, friendly to the ideas that are taught in the Bible. There's this hostility that exists between uh, the culture and the teachings of Jesus. And, and the result of that is this. Like, we, we have to figure out, and, and we've said this, like, since the very inception of West Coast. I said this the first time we met with a small group of people in my living room. The goal of the church is to not figure out how to get the city or the, or the people to come to us, but how do we get the church to go to the city? Amen? That deserves a big amen. Because here, here if, we, if we do this, and this is what a lot of uh, church has done over the last number of years. If we just try and put on the most amazing show 52 weeks out of the year and hope that the city will come to us, here is what we are asking at the fundamental level. Here is what we are saying to our city. You must be the missionary. We are asking the non-believer to be the missionary. Because if you know any non-believers, if you know any people that, that don't know Jesus and aren't a part of a church community, they got a lot of questions. They got a lot of barriers between where they currently stand and actually showing up here on a Sunday morning to participate in a worship gathering with us. Some of them are intellectual. Some of them are, are social. Some of them are just not knowing what to expect. But when we say we're going to put on a great show and we're going to get you to come to us, what we are fundamentally saying is you need to overcome all of your barriers to get here so that you can hear the gospel of Jesus. Praise be to God that God doesn't say that to us, hey? You must overcome all of your barriers in order to come into right relationship with me. No, no, no. Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, Jesus overcomes all the barriers. Jesus goes from heaven to earth. Jesus humbles himself. Jesus becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that we can have relationship with God. So, so what I'm saying is this. We need to start thinking like missionaries. 
Every single one of us. If you, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Baptist preacher, this is what he said. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. What? You're a full-time missionary. And here's, here's this, is, this is actually good news. I got good news for you. You're a full-time missionary. And a lot of times we think about missionaries, we think they got to like go overseas, they got to cross cultural boundaries, uh, they got to raise their own salary. Here's the beauty of it. You get to be a missionary in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, and you don't even have to raise your own salary because your boss pays you to do it. You are a fully funded missionary to the city of Victoria. Unbelievable. And so what we are talking about in this teaching series, I'll just let you stew on that for a little bit, like mic drop, what? Okay. But what we, what we are teaching through in this series are what are the things that we need to embrace as God's people in order to be healthy, functioning, effective, fruitful missionaries to the city of Victoria. And this is our, our mission and our vision. Um, it's, it's really straightforward. We want to see a missionary on every street, every school campus, every work cubicle, every office floor, every everywhere. We want to see a follower of Jesus there, planted there, who knows Jesus, loves Jesus, is in relationship with Jesus, hearing from Jesus, and living out the gospel where God has planted them. The way we word it is this. We, we want to see the city saturated with the gospel. The goal is not to fill a movie theater. It's to fill the city with God's people so that every day, every man, woman, and child can have an encounter with Jesus and his church through word and deed. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be? If every single day, every person in our city who doesn't know Jesus could actually bump up against his church, guess what? You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. It's possible. It's possible. So throw, it's already on the screen, I think. The mission, oh, throw the missionary pathway up on the screen for me. So this is what we're teaching through right here. Okay, so this is, uh, this is week three, if, I, if my memory serves me correct. We started in the middle, week one. We started with this idea that, that Jesus is Lord. And each week, as we've taught, we said there's a shift that needs to occur for us in how we think about what it means to follow Jesus. So the first week, we talked about this idea that I'm not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. That was our shift. Right? We need to stop seeing, my like, I'm not the center of the story. I'm not the center of the universe. Jesus is the center of the universe. And with each week, we've told a story about how that's manifesting itself in someone's life or in a community's life. Uh, and with each week, we've given a resource. Okay, So those are going to be all up on our website. You can get them out at the Connect desk in the lobby if you weren't here. Week two, we started with this outer ring called Extraordinary Prayer and Fasting. And the reason that this is like the outer ring as opposed to a step in the path is because we don't actually think that this is something you ever move on from. And we'll talk about why that is this morning, but that prayer and fasting is a part of what we do all the time. And so we've broken that down into two weeks. Last week was, was this idea that we need to abide in Christ. That, that our, our connection, our prayer, our fasting, we have to have this reality where, where we are actually abiding in the person and work of Jesus. And the shift that we said we need to make last week was we need to shift from having a transactional relationship with Jesus to having a relational one. That our relationship with Jesus isn't about God, here's my plans, will you please bless them? But it's God, I'm walking with you all the time, every day, hearing your voice. Right? Uh, you are the vine. I'm the branch. I'm connected to you. I'm hearing 
your, your presence is with me. The Holy Spirit is with me. You're speaking. And listen, we're hearing his voice and we're obeying what he says. We're hearing his voice and we're obeying what he says. I, I got like last week, I think I had four people reach out to me and say, hey, I got to tell you this crazy story. I was at the mall. Actually, someone, someone sent me a message Sunday afternoon. I went to the mall across the street to get lunch afterwards. I was in line. I was standing next to somebody, and I had this sense that the Holy Spirit wanted me to talk to them. So I turned around. I struck up a conversation, found out that, that this person was, was in need, was able to share the gospel with them, pray with them, and invited them to come here this morning. Super cool. Gospel saturation. Every day, every man, woman, child would have a daily encounter with Jesus' church through word and deed. Heard several stories like that last week. Holy Spirit prompted me to start a relationship, to talk to somebody. I did it. Jesus is present. Amazing. Amazing. This week, we're going to start uh, talking about what does it look like when our prayers are not just about abiding in Christ, but now we're actually starting to pray what I'm going to call harvest prayers, like missional prayers, outward focused prayers. And here's, here's the shift that we need to make today. We need to make a shift from self-focused prayer to harvest-focused prayer. We need to shift from self-focused to harvest-focused, from it's about me to it's about others. Now, I want to be clear about this. Like, What I'm not saying is we can never pray for ourselves. We can never pray for each other. We can never practice shepherd care. That's very important. Okay, it's very important. God cares about your needs, he, he, just like he cares about the sparrows, the birds of the air, the lilies in the field. He cares about those things. He cares about you. He cares deeply. But let's just, like, let's just be honest with ourselves for a second. If I was to just take a step back and I was to take my prayers over the last 43 and a half years, that's how old I am. I don't think I've prayed for all of those years. Let's just say like the last 23 since I've been following Jesus. Last 23 years, if I was just to write down all the prayers I prayed over the last 23 years, how many of those were focused on me? I don't, I don't know the answer, but my suspicion is most of those prayers were focused on myself. My needs, my, my wants, my desires. Again, not saying that that is bad. Not saying we shouldn't pray for one another, not saying we shouldn't make our requests known and have the elders come and lay hands. Like, these are all good, 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 good things. So don't hear me say what I'm not saying. Okay? But what I am saying is I think there needs to be a shift from the vast, vast, vast majority of our prayers being about ourselves. The shift needs to be that we start praying for those who don't yet know Jesus. I mean, how many of you have been a part of like a church small group or like a Bible study or something like that? And, and I don't know if you've ever been in these meetings before. I've been in so many of them. Okay, this is like an occupational hazard, I guess. I'm not sure. You're in these meetings and, you know, you do your Bible study and you do the things you're supposed to do. And then, like, like what do you, if you're at a Christian meeting, it's like you must pray at the end, right? Like, that's how you close a Christian meeting. Is it even a Christian meeting if it doesn't end in prayer? It's a joke. Laugh. It's okay. Relax. Just take a deep breath, folks. It's going to be okay. Help me out here, okay? So you're in the living room. And the leader's like, hey, okay, guys, well, we should pray. Uh, what do you guys want to pray about? Who needs prayer for something? And it's kind of quiet, and it's awkward, because, like, honestly, like, these generally are pretty surface-level relationships. Like, we're not really going to go super-duper deep in these things. So someone's like, well, my Aunt Jemima's really sick. <laughs> oh, what's wrong with Aunt Jemima? Too many pancakes? No, no. Her toe. She's got like a, a fungus on her toe. 
Okay, so the leader writes down Aunt Jemima's toe fungus. Okay, anyone else? Um, well, I don't know if like we're supposed to pray for these things, but I took my cat to the vet the other day, and the cat has a fungus too, like a, a fur fungus. Okay, what's your cat's name? Uh, Lillian. <laughs> I didn't just make that up. Um, uh, Lillian, the cat's fur fungus. Okay, anyone else? Just quiet. It's awkward. Like this, like this a little bit. Okay, well, let's pray. And like somebody like actually prays for the cat's fur fungus and the toe fungus. And then you say amen and you just thank Jesus that you get to get the heck out of there because that was like the worst experience of your life. And I'm, I'm kind of joking, but I've actually been a part of those. And, and again, God cares about everything. He cares about the cat fur fungus and he cares about Aunt Jemima and her toe. He really does. But sometimes... I mean, just like, oh, we'll get there. We'll get to Acts in just a second. But, but sometimes our lived experience as the people of God looks so different from what we read in the New Testament, doesn't it? And so what this is going to be a plea for is that we would start to resemble, look like what we see in the New Testament. Now, you might hear this idea of extraordinary prayer and fasting, and it might be very, very intimidating to you. Okay, you read stories of prayer in the book of Acts, and it's like, I could never pray like that. Like, the heavens opened up, tongues of fire, shaking, crazy, intense. I, ah. Okay, not asking you to do that. We're going to talk a lot about that today, but that is not what, what is being asked. When we talk about extraordinary prayer, I want to remind us of the definition. I think it's going to be on the screen, but just in case, I'll just read it right from here. Extraordinary prayer is simply this. It is adding one thing to the prayer practices that you already have. What are you currently doing in terms of prayer? That's ordinary. Add one thing. You are now practicing extraordinary prayer. And just continue over time to continue to add new things to your prayer life. And it will continue to grow in terms of it being extraordinary in prayer. So I don't want to overwhelm any of us because what is going to happen this morning is some of the stories we're going to share and just things I'm going to read. There's going to be two responses. One is going to be excitement. I'm very excited to start doing this. The other is going to be shame because I'm not very good at it. I'm not doing this. I feel awful. And here's what I'd say. Excitement. Yes. Be excited. Be fired up. You know, like dive into this deep. Shame is satanic and it has no place amongst God's people. Okay, so we just need to knock, knock that off altogether. So, so enjoy this. Okay, you're going to hear stories. Be encouraged by them. I'm going to read quotes. Like love them. We're going to read passages of scripture. Let them excite you and stir your affections. But don't feel bad or guilty because you don't wake up on Saturday morning and walk around to school with a bunch of people to pray. Don't feel bad about that. Be encouraged. Be inspired. Let it, let it percolate something in your own heart and affections to manifest itself in such a way that it would start to change the way that you are experiencing what it means to be the people of God together. Okay? You with me? Tracking? Everyone good? Yeah? Come on. Just a little bit louder so I know you're here. Okay. There we go. Acts chapter 13. Let's go. Here we go. Let's get to some Bible here. We're going to read three verses out of Acts chapter 13. 
I, I think these are some of the more pivotal verses in the, in the early church in terms of like helping us understand what took place in the first century and the way that the gospel spread. Here is what Luke, who wrote Acts, wrote in Acts chapter 13. We'll just read the first three verses. Now the church at Antioch, uh, sorry, now the church at Antioch, the, sorry, now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, who had been brought up with, the, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. What we are reading here in these three verses, as I've already alluded to, is a pretty pivotal moment in the life of the first century church. This here is actually a depiction of the first time that the, the early church commissioned and sent out missionaries. Now, it's not the first time missionaries left, but it was the first time that the church actually prayed listened to the Holy Spirit, and then as a community of faith, affirmed a, a group of leaders and sent them out as missionaries. Up to this point, any missionaries that had been sent out, God had sort of forced the hand a little bit, right? He brought persecution. He brought hardship. The church had to scatter, and then missionaries were sent out. And what God did through these first missionaries, and this, specifically this church at Antioch, was absolutely remarkable. This was the first church to have both Jewish and Gentile converts commingling within the same community of faith, which led to this, this huge movement where the church started to become this like new humanity or this new culture that wasn't, wasn't embedded in one particular ethnic group or one particular religious group or one pol particular political party, but it was made up of this diverse group of people, opinions, perspectives, which forced a lot of conversations, which if you've read your New Testament, you'd be super familiar with, but it started to paint a picture for what oneness in Christ actually looked like. Beautiful. Uh, Antioch was positioned in a really unique spot uh, in Asia Minor where, where many roads would come through Antioch and into other significant cities and significant communities. So it was very strategic in that missionaries that were sent from there were able to go to other like significant missionary outposts to bring the gospel, which really helped accelerate the movement that was started by the first disciples. And this was the church that sent out the most missionaries that we have record of in the New Testament. We see that Paul, here called Saul, was sent out. Barnabas was sent out. Judas and Silas were sent out. And others were all sent out from the church at Antioch. So this is a significant moment in the history of the church. Like, just to put it, like, real starkly or really clear, like, this is the beginning of a movement. The movement in the book of Acts right here is starting to manifest itself. Now, here's what I want you to see. Okay, this is kind of like our big teaching point for the moment or for the morning. Prayer preceded movement. So before these missionaries were sent out, what did the people of God do? They prayed and they fasted and they worshiped. They spent time with Jesus. They heard from the Holy Spirit and then they obeyed what they heard. And from that came a move of the Holy Spirit that took over most of the known world. Now, this is not unique simply to 
Acts chapter 13, but this is something that we see all over the place. If you look at the life of Jesus, this is what we see in the life of Jesus. Before Jesus started his public ministry, what did he do? He spent 40 days in the wilderness. What was he doing in the wilderness? He was fasting and praying. Before Jesus called his first disciples, what did he do? He spent the entire night with his heavenly father, with him, hearing from him, listening to him. Then the next morning, he wakes up and he calls his first disciples. Before Jesus went to the cross, what did he do? He spent the night in the garden. What was he doing in the garden? He was with his father. There's this pattern that we see in the life of Jesus that before anything significant that Jesus has done happens, what does he do? He spends time in prayer with his father, hearing his voice and then obeying what he says. I've already alluded to this, but this is what we see. If you were to go through the book of Acts, this is what you will see time and time and time again. What, like, what is the standard operating procedure for the New Testament church in the book of Acts? Right? Like, like what are they, what are, you know, like, did they get together and like, hey, we got this great idea for an outreach program, right? Like, let's, let's invite a bunch of people, we'll, you know, like, no, no, no. It was this. It was the Holy Spirit went, psst, hey, you, see that guy in the chariot? Go over there and talk to him. He wants to know about me. And they're like, okay. And they go over there. Hey, uh, you know, you got any questions about Jesus? Yeah, actually, I got a few. Okay, let me explain to you who he is. Okay. And then the person gets baptized, their whole household gets baptized, and a church gets planted. Like, if you read through the book of Acts, that is what you are going to see. The Holy Spirit leading and guiding and moving the people of God in particular ways, at particular times, towards particular people. It doesn't always go like that, right? Sometimes it ended with, like, stoning and prison. But the reality is, that was how the church lived. They lived... In the presence of the Holy Spirit, they heard what the Holy Spirit had to say, and then they obeyed what the Holy Spirit told them to do, and the net result was people met Jesus. People met Jesus. Prayer precedes movement. So if everything I said at the beginning is true, we want to see gospel saturation, we want to see a missionary planted on every street and every office building at every school campus, every sports team, every everywhere... How's that going to happen? Well, I'll just be honest with you, you know, like, and maybe this isn't a good idea to do this, but like, if we, if we were just to get the best and brightest, you know, our leadership team together, here's, here's probably what we would have to say. We don't know. No idea. But we know the one who does. So let's ask him. Let's talk to him. Let's listen to him. Let's pray. Let's fast. Let's listen. Let's obey. That's how it's going to happen. Pray, fast, hear, and obey. This is what uh, an author, T.W. Hunt, wrote about the early church. He says this, If we examine the expansion of the church in the book of Acts, and look at its prayers as recorded in Acts and the epistles, we see convincing proof of the power of prayer. 
The early church had innumerable obstacles. Christianity was unknown. It was opposed by the authorities wherever it spread. It suffered constantly from false accusations and rumors. Like if I could just kind of read between the lines here, like the, the kind of persecution that we endure is like Disneyland relative to what these guys had to go through. The soil that they were trying to plant the gospel in is like the most fertile ground, or sorry, the, the most hostile ground relative to where we are trying to plant the gospel. Wherever it spread, it suffered constantly from false accusations, rumors, and it tended to attract the lower classes. Yet, by the end of the first century, it had spread in exactly the geographic pattern commissioned by Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, points in Europe and Asia Minor, far too distant from its seedbed. The rapid geographical and ideological shift could have been accomplished only by supernatural forces. The instrument of expansion was the church, and the force the church was using was Prayer. Prayer. Yes, the church spread. Yes, it was the church that grew. But it wasn't on the backs of good leadership principles or uh, great preaching or hot bands on Sunday. It was on the backs of a group of people who were listening to the voice of God and obeying what he told them to do. And the church grew. Uh, I recently read a couple books. Um, well, one, one of the books I read is called Miraculous Movements, written by a guy named Jerry Trousdale. And he, was a, he is a church leader in the United States. And he had heard about this like ridiculous move of God that sounded very much like what takes place in the book of Acts in East Africa. And him and his team went over there uh, to like, just kind of check out what was going on because it was, it was ridiculous, the stories they were hearing. And so they went over there to just check out what was going on. What they found out was that it was actually more fantastic, like, in, in, like incredible than what they had actually been told, that the numbers far exceeded anything that they had expected to see. And in his book, there's two books that he writes. One is just telling the stories. The other is distilling some principles. I just highly recommend you grabbing these books and reading them. But he tells a couple stories, and I want to read a couple of them for you. I'm going to read two stories. It's a decent length, so hang with me. But uh, there's a couple reasons I want to read them. The first one is because what you see here is that like, these are like pretty normal people doing pretty abnormal, supernatural things. And then the second thing, the second reason I want to read these stories is because on the back side of this, I want to just talk a little bit about some of the things that, under, that were underpinning this move that was taking place in East Africa. So, so here's the first story. Jarzo is the leader of a stream, like a church planting stream, that has planted 63 churches in two years. Now, when they talk church, they're not talking movie theater, band preacher. They're talking like house church. Think about like a, a robust missional community. Among the least reached people group in Africa, keep in mind when we talk, or East Africa, when we talk about East Africa, this is one of the most hostile Muslim regions of the entire world. Okay, so this is not, these are not communities that are friendly to the gospel. Four months ago, Jarzo was baptizing new Christ followers from that people group, Jillo who was not a follower of Christ, was watching from a distance while Jarzo was conducting the baptism. Those are great names. They actually changed the names for the sake of the identity of these people. 
With a beer in his hand, Jillo observed the proceedings and began to make fun of the baptism preliminaries. Before conducting the baptism, Jarzo read the story about Jesus' baptism and began to talk about it. Now within, the hear, with, now within hearing distance of the preaching, Jillo found himself deeply absorbed with what he heard. At the end of the story, he knew he needed to follow Jesus. Right away, he decided to stop drinking and even threw away his half-finished bottle of beer that he was holding. He went home that evening. His wife was amazed to see him sober and empty-handed because he usually brought home a couple of bottles to drink. His wife offered him a bottle of beer, which she had bought for him earlier in the day. And Jillo shocked, by her t- uh, shocked her by telling her that he had stopped drinking and she should take the bottle back to the shop and get a refund. Jillo, who did not read or write, then asked his wife to bring the Bible that they had in the house and read it for him. And the story of Jesus that Jarzo had read was read to him. The wife came with the Bible. When she'd finished reading the story, Jillo shared with her what he had heard from Jarzo. And that evening, Jillo and his wife made a decision to follow Jesus. The next day, Jillo contacted Jarzo, who showed him how to showed him and his family how to do a discovery Bible study. And from that next day onward, Jillo and his wife, together with their children, began to do Bible study every evening. Two weeks later, Jillo and his wife and some neighbors who joined their Bible study were baptized. Jillo and his wife have continued on this journey by facilitating the launch of eight more Bible studies in their community. It's crazy. It's amazing. Simple, but amazing. One more story. One church planter, Wario, that's a great name. A lot of pregnant ladies around here. If you're looking for names, write these down. We've got Jarzo, Jillo, and Wario. Wario met a young woman two years ago named Rahab. This woman was very beautiful, and when Wario first met her, she, like her Bible's namesake, a sex worker. Wario began to tell her the story of Rahab from the Bible, including one quoted from her about, uh, quoted about her in Hebrews 11. He told her how the life of Rahab was, uh, was transformed from a life of prostitution to a woman of faith and how she entered into the genealogical line of Jesus. Rahab had never read the Bible for herself, but she knew that in the Bible there was a woman who was called Rahab and that she had been a prostitute. This she had learned from various people who heard her name. But when she first heard the full story of Rahab from Wario, she was touched and asked Wario if she could be like the Rahab of the Bible. And Wario said yes and offered to pray for her. In that process, she was eventually delivered from demonic bondage. After that, her life changed dramatically. She became a strong follower of Jesus and a disciple maker. She married a Christ follower, and the couple became committed disciple makers. And over the last year, they've planted six new churches in their community. Unbelievable. I mean, just think about that. Simple, yet supernatural. In 12 years in East Africa, in this one particular region, they saw 185,358 new disciples made, and they saw 7,571 new churches started. Sounds like the book of Acts. But here's the most incredible thing, and this is what Jerry Trousdale and his team have distilled down as perhaps the most significant reality of this movement. Here's what he writes. He says, network leaders spent on average 14 hours a week in prayer. 14 hours a week in prayer. Now let me just, a couple things really quickly. First one is this, like I'm not talking about like 14 hours of like silence sitting, you know, you know, in your basement 
on your knees praying. This is a mix of that, of praying in groups, of praying as you're going about your day, as, of, of practicing listening prayer. The other thing I want to qualify about this is when he says network leaders, he's not talking about people that went to seminary and get paid full time to do this. He's talking about Rahabs and Warios and Jarzos and Jillos. Like he's talking about you and me. He's talking about like, like normal Christians filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say that the least number of hours spent by any leader was seven hours per week in prayer, and the most number of hours spent by any leader was 35 hours per week in prayer. And they say, and I don't know what to make of this. This isn't a Bible verse, okay? This is just what he says. He says there is a direct connection between the amount of time spent in prayer and the amount of fruitfulness a leader saw. It's a little bit like what we talked about last week. We, we talked about this idea of like, man, imagine we all talked about Jesus five times a day. Well, we can't guarantee that if you talk about Jesus five times a day that you're going to you know, have five people come to faith in Jesus. But I can guarantee you if you talk about Jesus zero times a day, zero people will come to faith in Jesus. So I can't guarantee you that if you spend 35 hours a week in prayer, that God is going to move in a significant way in you and through you. But could it be that he's not because we don't pray at all or nearly enough? Again, no guilt, no shame. My heart's desire for us is excitement. That this would like motivate us to want to see God do something in our day that we could point to and go like, I have no idea how that happened. No idea how that happened. I'm going to my friend John. Where's John? John, come on up here. As John comes up here, uh, he, I don't know if he was in this morning's video or not, but he's uh, part of our missional community. And uh, I'm, I'm working with John real closely right now, um, just towards uh, seeing a new community started where, where John is, come on up here, where, where John lives, where he works, his relationships are. And I want to ask him a couple questions. And the reason I, I brought John up here, uh, this is not intended as an insult, okay? But it's going to sound like one. This is a okay. backhanded compliment, brother, because I want you to see that anyone can do this. <laughs> no, no, no. What I have appreciated about John is this. He's humble. He's teachable. And he's willing to listen to what the Holy Spirit tells him to do. Not all the time. He'll be the first one to admit that. That's part of the humility piece. But as he's been practicing these things, we've seen the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in his life. So John, I want to I start just by maybe um, tell the people kind of what your prayer life and just walk with Jesus was like before the last year and a half or the last kind of stretch of your life where you really started to see some change and transformation. Um, yeah, like as a follower of Jesus, like the past year and a half has been, well, Jesus really showed up in the past year and a half, but even the past seven months or so, but prior to that, prayer was definitely a part of my my life, but it wasn't, again, I think it was, as you were saying earlier, it was more me-focused, not definitely not missional-focused. Prayer walking was just a foreign concept. Fasting was not something I was never did, really, consistently. Yeah. Um, what changed? Um, spending time with Jesus, um, it really... Um, 
enjoying the friendship of the Lord um, and, and, um, and just being willing to, um, to listen. And, you know, that's still something I, it's an ongoing process right. of listening, but um, softening my heart and um, pushing me more to on like a more missional type prayer focus. Right. So um, maybe just so everybody understands their, your context, tell people kind of your station in life. Like, what are you doing? Where do you live? And, and where, where has Jesus sent you? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I live close to UVic. I'm a PhD student at UVic, and I live with a bunch of um, guys in a house, and they're all graduate students, and that's kind of like, it's become clear to me, like that's, that's where I am, so that's the mission field. So. Right, and uh, so, you know, you kind of had this moment of like kind of conviction and started to see some transformation in your life. What is that, how has that actually like manifested itself? Like what's actually changed? Like what are your prayer habits and prayer practices now? So um, like on a, on a daily rhythm, it's um, uh, praying specifically for specific people, like my, my roommates, um, and I'm gonna be committing to like praying by name for these people, um, for my coworkers, um, and yeah, just, and just seeing Jesus where, where did you, where were you today? Um, where did I miss you? And, mm -hmm. and have you been prayer walking at all? Uh, yeah, well with you guys and yep. then, and, and, um, yeah, I started prayer walking recently, uh, like at UVic and this is, I haven't seen a whole lot of fruit of that yet. It's just been kind of recent, but it's, yeah. um, it's a new step forward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then what has been like some of the fruit you've seen, like from this, that like, and maybe just so people understand, like how long did you live in your house before you started this? Uh, about five years, five years. Yeah. Okay. And, and what was your disposition like in your home at that, like for the first portion of that versus now? And then what is the fruit you're seeing? So the first like five, like for four and a half years is like the guys in my house, we wouldn't really hang out much. We wouldn't like go into deep conversations, but over the summer just been praying more, uh, like Jesus praying for these guys. And, um, yeah, this turned into like in the uh, a place where Jesus has talked about. And we, my buddy and I, are doing a Bible study in the house together now. So yeah, you've had some parties. Uh, yeah, and um, John's a party animal. <laughs> Don't let the quiet demeanor. Those organic chemists, PhD students, man, lampshade. Like, just kidding, buddy. Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, you've had some parties. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> just, um, yeah, I got invited to uh, one of my uh, roommates. Um, it was birthday party. His friends invited me over, and I was just praying in, into this. Like, this is a, a missional opportunity just before, during, and after, just, and, and especially before and during Jesus, just help me walk faithfully into this situation. And, and in, in this moment, just, um, it ended up in a Jesus conversation and getting to know some people even end up with uh, a guy telling me how um, he's not a follower of Jesus, but he believes in God. And, and he recently started reading the Gospel of John, and it even led to me inviting him into a Bible study. He declined, but yeah, um, but yeah that's some of the some of the fruit. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great, man. And uh, yeah, I, I just want to like encourage you with that. Like like Jesus, you know, he he tells us to obey him. 
Like he, we, we scatter seed, but he's the one that supplies like the harvest, right? He, he invites us towards obedience. And, and the reason I wanted you to share uh, was because you have been willing to practice obedience. And there's been times where you haven't, where you're like, oh man, I missed an opportunity. And, you know, and our group's been able to like, you know, pray for you and share the gospel with you. But I just want to encourage you that this is something that, that anyone can practice. Anyone can practice this. So I want to pray for you real quick. Can I pray for you real quick? Yep. All right. Thanks, man. Jesus, uh, I just ask you to bless John. Uh, I thank you for his faithfulness and his willingness to, uh, to listen to you, to hear you, and to obey you. And I pray that you would just continue to bless his steps, that you would continue to send him to the people that are open to the gospel. I pray you'd bring someone into his path, a person of peace who, who wants to actually come to faith in you, someone like we read about in these stories. And so would you bless him? In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. amen. Can you give it up for John for me? <clears throat> so, so here's the ask, okay? Here's the ask. Um, I, 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 I caught wind that we didn't get our, our practice handed out, but we're going to give you something on your way out the door, is my assumption. Uh, and it is a, a piece of paper, like a bookmark, looks like a bookmark. And on one side of that bookmark, there is um, what we call... Listening prayer and kingdom prayer, okay? Breathe in, breathe out prayer. Listening prayer is prayer that says, God, I, I want to know what you're already doing, wherever I am. That's listening prayer. So we pray that, we listen. God, what are you doing here in our community? And then we pray kingdom prayer, which is, how can I join in what you're already doing? And so my encouragement, here's my encouragement to us, that we would take one, first of all, those are prayer practices you can pray all the time. Breathe in, breathe out prayer. God, what are you doing? How can I join? But my, my ask is this, that you would take one day a week to focus on those prayer practices. And then here, so one thing, just add one thing. Now you're practicing extraordinary prayer. That's amazing. Want you to add one other thing, if you can. Okay, this isn't like we are doing this. This is like an invitation into something beautiful. And that is this idea that you would take a day and fast from food and feast on the presence of Christ. So the way this works in our community is we do that together. We, on Wednesdays as a community, we just, we just made this commitment to each other. We're going to fast from food, feast on Jesus, and we're going to pray, breathe in, breathe out prayers, wherever we are, and for our mission field, which is Spectrum Community School. So if you're in a missional community, I want to encourage you to, to maybe adopt that practice. And maybe it's not every week. Maybe it's every other week. Maybe it's once a month. I'm not sure. Whatever it is you guys feel like the Holy Spirit is doing. But to add to your already... Uh, your, your, the prayer habits you already have. And then for us, what we do is when we come together, we break the fast with a really, really, really awesome meal. And then we spend some time just going like, hey, what did you hear Jesus say today? A lot of times it ends up in some beautiful conversations. We end up shepherding one another, praying for one another. There's lots of times where it's like, we didn't hear much. Okay, let's pray together. But we're practicing. We're putting ourselves in a position where we can actually hear the voice of God and then we're seeking to obey. And we're seeing more and more and more fruit as we continue to practice that. And our hope is this. This is our hope for every one of our missional communities. If you're not a part of one yet, we can help you become a part of one. But even if you're not a part of one, this is still something you can practice. Is that you would have a daily and a weekly and a monthly prayer rhythm. A daily, weekly, monthly. So for our community, we pray these breathe in, breathe out prayers daily. We fast and pray every week. Once a month, we're now going to start to get together with the missional communities that we've birthed. So there's going to be a couple of missional communities that are going to get together to pray together. And then once a year, we want to have an annual prayer rhythm as a church. We're actually going to take a whole night 
a whole 12 hour night, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And we're going to call the whole church to come pray. Might as well pray for the whole night. That's okay. We'll talk about that as that comes closer to happening. But we want to start to be this community of faith that is praying, seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit and praying harvest prayers, praying that the Lord of the harvest would send out his people. Is that you guys tracking with me? Okay, I'm going to invite the band to come up. I'm going to wind down. I realize this wasn't like your typical sermon, okay? I understand that. But we really want to take some time in this series to actually distill principles into our community that will bless us, equip us, and help us go from here to live out what Jesus calls us to live out. But we have to recognize this, and this is, this is kind of where I want to land the plane. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities. He says in Ephesians 2 that Satan is the prince of this world. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that there is like this spiritual reality that we have to recognize exists in our world. I was having a conversation with a few different people this morning. But we were just talking about like the darkness that exists in the city of Victoria. And, and I don't want to like, you know, be over dramatic about this. But we have to acknowledge that there is so much more happening than what the eye can see. There is so much evil in our world and Satan is beneath all of it. There's so many wrong ideologies, wrong way of thinking, wrong people that are, you know, influencing us. And, I'm, you know, like there's just so much evil that exists. And, and the task that is before us is so significant. Pre-COVID, three, four, maybe five percent on a good Sunday of the entire city were in some sort of faith community gathering. Not even Christians, just in a church building. That was pre-COVID. The task is so, it seems so insurmountable to us. But Jesus promises that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He promises that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He sends us and he says he will be with us till the very end of the age. In Mark chapter 9, there's this story where where Jesus' disciples try to cast out a demon. Sorry, maybe I called you guys up a little too early here. I'm still preaching. You can start playing softly behind me or something, maybe. Just kind of, just, just joking. Okay, Mark chapter 9. Uh, Jesus' disciples tried to cast out this, um, this demon out of, out, out of this young boy, and they, they weren't able to do it. And the, the, the boy was brought to Jesus, and Jesus is able to do it, and he turns to his disciples, and he rebukes them. And he says in that passage, he says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. In other words, you thought you could do this in your own strength, in your own power. You thought, you know, just you could go up there, pray a prayer, make something happen. But you can't. This kind requires a different kind of power. Martin Lloyd-Jones commented this. This is a long quote as well. I'm going to close by reading this quote. Commented on this verse by saying this. And I want you to hear the angst in his voice. Our Lord is saying, you have not sufficient power. 
I did what you could not do because I have power, because I am filled with the power that God gives me by the Holy Spirit. For he gives not the Spirit by measure unto me. You will never be able to deal with this kind unless you have applied to God for the power which he alone can give you. You must become aware of your need, of your impotence, of your helplessness. You must realize that you are confronted by something that is too deep for your methods to get rid of or too uh, to deal with. And you need something that can go down beneath that evil power and shatter it. And there's only one thing that can do that, and that is the power of God. And we too must become aware of that. We've got to feel it until we become desperate. We must ask ourselves, how can we succeed if we do not have this authority, this commission, this might and strength and power? We must become utterly and absolutely convinced of our need. We must cease to have so much confidence in ourselves and in all of our methods and organizations and in all our slickness. We have to realize that we must be filled with God's spirit and we must be equally certain that God can fill us with his spirit. We've got to realize that however great this kind is, the power of God is infinitely greater. That what we need is not more knowledge, not more understanding, not more apologetics, not more reconciliation of philosophy and science and religion and all the modern techniques. No, we need a power that can enter into the souls of men and break them and smash them and humble them and make them anew. And that is the power of the living God. So what our Lord said to the disciples is this, you will never deal with this sort of problem until you have been praying, concentrating in prayer, waiting upon God until he has filled you with power. And when you know you have got it, then you go out with authority. That is the way. It's the only way. Surely no one should need to be convinced today that nothing short of a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God is adequate to deal with our situation today. Are you really trusting in these other things? Here's the vital question. Have you seen the desperate need for prayer? I shall see no hope until the Christians are praying for revival, perhaps meeting in one another's homes, meeting with friends, meeting anywhere you live and praying with urgency and concentration for a shedding forth of the power of God. There is no hope until we do. But, but, the moment we do, hope enters in. Oh, when God manifests his power, it happens. We must realize the need of this kind, the futility of our own efforts, and the utter and absolute need of prayer and seeking the power of God alone. Amen? In Mark chapter 9, the boy's father comes to Jesus, and he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds with, if I can? Question mark, if I can? He says, everything is possible for one who believes. The father responds, what he says, he says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Let me ask us a question, do we believe? Do we believe? 
Do we believe that in our day, hundreds of thousands of disciples could be made? Hundreds of churches planted, hundreds of people coming to faith in Jesus. Do we believe? If you look at us, the answer is no. No, I don't have a lot of faith in me. I don't have a lot of faith in you. No offense. Take your eyes off yourself and look at Jesus and ask the question, do you believe? In our day, it could happen. here's what I want you to do. I want you to actually ask the Holy Spirit right now to give you one name of one person that you know they need Jesus. They need him. And you know you don't have the answers and you can't make them come to faith in him. But it is through the church that the power of God works. It is through you that the power of God works. I want you to see their face. I want you to ask the Spirit of God to give you a love for this person that breaks your heart like God's heart is broken over sheep that don't have a shepherd. And then, simple, ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? for this person or to bless them in your name. It might just be, I want you to pray for them this week. Do it. Hear his voice and obey. And so Lord Jesus, I pray for the, the names and the faces represented. I ask in Jesus' name that you give us opportunities to talk about how good you are, to share your hope, to pray for someone, maybe to heal sickness, to give away money, to open up our dinner table in your name. Would you move in our lives, would you move through our lives in a powerful way? Just before we, just before we turn to the table for communion and worship. I just want, I want to put an opportunity in front of you this morning. Just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Each week we'll have leaders over here to my right, your left, the front of the stage to pray. Um, and often we, we say, hey, if you need prayer, come down and receive prayer. And if you need prayer, please come down and receive prayer. Like by all means, we want to, we want to shepherd people and pray for, for things that need to be prayed for. But maybe this morning it's, I want you to pray for my spouse who doesn't know you. I want you to pray for my kid who doesn't know you. I want you to pray for my friend or my neighbor who doesn't know you. I want you to pray for me because I'm scared and I need to be filled with that kind of power to, to call out this kind. Maybe by the 
grace of God, there'd be so many people that come forward for prayer this morning that we don't have enough people. And then you just turn around and ask somebody if you can pray for them and pray for them. But don't hold back, church. has called us into requires something different than what we've always done. So Jesus, fill us, we pray. And all God's children said,